0: Welcome to the Naked Truth. Peace to you. We're going to pick up where we left off in the book of Genesis. We're chapter 15. If you want to join me now, we're going to pick up at verse 1. And peace to you. Here we go. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. So you have it up until this time. Still, God, we'll say the Lord, the the deity, the entity identified as the Lord. From now on, I'm going to just say as the Lord, or at least as we do these readings. And I only say that just in case you don't know it. If you look at the translation of who's identified as Lord now, uh, let's see. It says the Lord now. It's being identified as Jehovah. Not El or Aon or um, Yah or Yah, you know, but Yehovah uh, in this instance. So that so you understand which entity it's referring to in this instance where it says Lord. Not the same uh, translation of the deity that Jesus refers to as Lord or God or um, in, or Father in the New Testament. And those are the only three ways in English that Jesus in the Bible identified God Almighty. Uh, The Father, God, if you want to think of it that way, God Almighty, not as any of these other names that are are translated as Lord or God. So keep that in your mind when you read the Bible and, and as you try to understand the Old Testament from the New and the New from what Jesus actually says from the rest of it. Because there's lots of different religions in the Bible, not just two by any means. So keep that in mind. So now you're having the Lord here. And like I said before about the translation, the Lord saying to Abram, sort of giving him reassurance that he's got God on his side. But Abram said, the Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go, he's saying childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer King, Eliezer of Damascus. So a couple of things about this verse. Um, and you might notice how I paused at one of the words uh, about going childless. If you want to understand um, how I look at Christianity, look at what Jesus Christ himself says about our words and the things we say. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 37, you'll see there Jesus tells us, by our words we'll be justified and by our words will be condemned. So even something seemingly innocent like vocalizing, putting out there the energy of saying it with your, the energy in your voice, something about that passage there of you're going childless. It seems to me is enough of a seed in the universe of things. Two, if you're struggling to have children, I'm not trying to have children, so I would have no problem reading that. But if you're someone who's trying to have children, if you read that verse, that part of the verse out loud, even if you're not meaning to do so, you're putting the energy of your being through the energy of your voice into that phrase. So you may end up inadvertently per, uh, producing, manifesting barrenness in your own life if you're trying to have children. Now, if you're not trying to have children, that's no problem. Go ahead and read it. If you don't want to have kids, that's no problem, feel free. But I feel like you should keep that in mind if you read that that verse. That's uh, so why I didn't read it. I don't want to have any kids, but in some other existence, alternate universe, if in other words, maybe i do so i don't want to be resisting that reality by saying that out loud um but in this reality that i'm experiencing now i'm not interested not so pressed on having any kids so um feel free Uh, so, so understand that's why i did that so what he's saying now look at what he says um he god just told him hey i got your back and he responds to god hey what do you what do i have what are you really gonna do for me what are you going to give me he just told god just told him i've got your back and i'm on your side and he responds with instead of wow lord that's so cool thank you he tells god what are you going to do for me and that's not rebuked at all let's keep reading what he says though he's saying he's upset that he's he's in he's being sassy because he doesn't have any kids and the, the wealth that he's acquired over the years and over time and experience He's going to leave to someone who's not his blood, this Eliezer of Damascus, which is that the number one thing that's on your heart? When God tells you, I got your back, it's an amazing. And yet none of this goes, gets even a, a, a shrug from, it gets a shrug from preachers. None of it gets even pointed out. It seems crazy. And Abram said, look, you've given me no offspring indeed one born in my house is my heir so he's letting God know um whatever you say about having my back you haven't given me any kids and he's letting them know not only that the stuff that i have acquired and went through all this whatever to get through i have to leave to some stranger he or who's uh, i have to leave to someone who's not my family not my blood sort of the opposite of the message of christianity given by christ himself on the cross, <clears throat> excuse me, let me sip of water. On the cross, when it comes to adoption, Jesus performs an adoption, even though it's not in those verbatim, hey, this is an adoption with signing papers like we do in modern times. He did it in the way they did it back then. He let his own mama know <clears throat> that her son, from that moment on, and I'm paraphrasing but you can look it up yourself in the gospels woman, this is your son and he tells the disciple John that's the disciple he sells it to this is your mother and so in modern terms that's an adoption and he lets them know that you don't have to be blood to be family and here you see the opposite message here by the patriarch Abram that he's pressed on the fact that the person who's going to get his stuff isn't blood-relative families. So it's another under, another reason to consider what it is you say you believe in if you're holding on to the Old Testament and the New as the ideal of the way to get to God. And what God are you getting to? He hasn't even gotten a thank you. The God in this passage hasn't even gotten a thank you. Or, wow, that's incredible from the person who he basically just let know, I got your back. Instead, he's getting sass. The neighbor said, so not just that, but he's kind of going off, letting him know you haven't done anything as far as where I'm supposed to, who I'm supposed to leave all this stuff to. And behold, I guess it's rich people problems. behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. So now he's saying, it says the word of the Lord came to him. Let me see. Yeah. And the word of the Lord came to him. So I'm not sure how the word of the Lord is coming to him. So it's not clear God has made an appearance to him. If it's through a dream, a vision, if he's just hearing a voice, it's not really clear how the word of the Lord is manifesting to him. Um, but the message that he's getting is that, no, it's not going to be someone who's not your blood. but instead, you're going to actually have uh, a child, an heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you're able to number them. And if he, and he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So a couple of things about that. According to science, the universe is expanding. The place where stars are now is not where they uh, were before, even in the Earth. Even, uh, it's not where it was before. In fact, it's moving. According to science, it's moving at something like the Earth, the Earth, the globe is moving through space at something like 666,000 miles per hour. And we don't experience that, that, you know, the force of that, uh, like we're moving that fast or running that fast, going that fast on a train, because it's just like when you're going on a train, you're on the the transportation, you're on the mode of transportation, so you're not experiencing the element of moving through space that quick according to science. And then that's where light years and all of that comes in. Although there's something I don't understand about light years. If the way we see them now is the way they appeared however many light years ago, they actually uh, sent out that light and it takes that long to get here for us to see it however many light years it is. How is it able to travel that distance however many light years it is away every morning or you know wherever, whenever it appears again, like say like the planets, however many light years they are away that we can't get to them just like that yet, or that we know of yet. Um, How's it they still appear each time they appear? It doesn't take them 600,000 years to get here or however, it doesn't quite make sense to me how the light is able to travel that fast every time it appears in the sky, like the moon and the stars and stuff, how are they? Even though they're that far away, and suppose it's it takes the light that long to get here. How look, however many light years ago it is, how is it we see it every day? Um, unless it's the atmosphere's answer, maybe that covers it and that makes it visible every day. I don't know, but um, anyway, the um, he's giving him a prophecy, letting him know, no, no you're gonna have uh, uh, an heir. And he's letting him know that also, not only that, plenty of other heirs through that he's gonna have. Um, and I, I know this, don't think he means you can literally outnumber the stars that exist in the sky, but I think he's saying it figuratively that a whole lot of people are gonna come from him, um, even though he doesn't, it doesn't look like he's, even though in his mind, he's going childless um, and he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So, the God mentioned right now, the Lord mentioned in this passage, is seems quite happy that a human believes the things that he says. It doesn't really seem like the same God, Lord temperament mentioned by the uh, throughout the Bible. In some cases, uh, it seems like a really short temper. With seemingly minor things like what Moses did to keep him out of the promised land, according to the narrative. And yet, here, you haven't even gotten a thank you from the lesser person, the lesser party, the human, to the greater party, the deity, uh, for saying, Hey, I got your back. Not only that, I'm going to prophesy that you're going to have lots and lots of descendants. None of that. And yet, that's considered righteous by the greater at, I don't know, uh, different standards of time. And then he said to him, "I'm the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it." And as always, forgive me if the pronunciation on any of these is incorrect. Um, but he's letting him know, "I'm the one who saved you uh, or brought, who's led you this far." Basically, is what he's letting him know. And he said, "The Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it?" So, does that seem like a very gracious or grateful attitude to have? With the one, the entity that's rescued you again and again and carried you that far, maybe it doesn't. And maybe that's the current kind of relationship, though, that God appreciates. Maybe God appreciates a raw, real connection like that where it may not be a perfect um uh person none of us seem to be um but it really at least it's real and it's raw so maybe that's what god enjoy if this is god if you're gonna believe that this is god interacting with him however it's happening um maybe that's what uh god appreciates with him um and so far god is still being still being translated now uh as yehovah again not uh l El or Elion. Um, However, you pronounce them. So he said, um, "Bring me," and presumably this is. Um, and also one other thing about the, how will I, how shall I know it? Like he's Whitney Houston or something. How shall we know it? That sort of doubt is condemned in the New Testament when the God there, or at least the news from the Lord in the New Testament, announces to. John the Baptist's family, or close family, or father, I should say his mother, his father, that he's going to have a child even though they seem barren. That sort of um, uh, de- um, what is it? Uh, doubt is condemned instantly in the New Testament, so it's not the same sort of smoke that the Old Testament God has here, also, when um, Mary, Jesus's mama, gets the news that she's going to have Jesus, uh, in her case, she's not doubtful, but she wonders how it's going to happen, too, because she's a virgin at the time. And she isn't greeted uh, with any condemnation um, like uh, John the Baptist's daddy is, um, but she also apparently delivers it with a different sort of wonder than John the Baptist without the sass like John the Baptist's daddy did. And here, even though you haven't even gotten a thank you from the human to the deity for all the support, you see he's still gotten support from the deity, Um, even though he's got doubts. And letting him know, how how, well I know what you're saying, uh, what you, the Lord, are saying to me. Oh, and Lord, by the way, is being translated here, Adonai. That's what the word Lord is, Adonai. Let me see, just so you can hear it them and I'll have a simple word. Strong's H 136 Adonai Adonai That's how the Lord part of Lord God is being translated to, uh, uh, from and God is the word Jehovah again. So you understand there's lots of different names being applied to God none of which Jesus uses in the New Testament. Um so he's wondering, how will I know? Just like Whitney said. And let's see, so he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So this isn't going, he's not gathering these up to um, play games. Look and see what, we're gonna read and see what it is he's having him gather these animals for. It's not for Noah's Ark either. Remember the Lord in the Old Testament went through destroying uh, just about all of creation and only saving a portion. And then suddenly it's offering animal sacrifices again is acceptable and pleasing. Well, just keep that in mind. So now we have this, that's what's being gathered here. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. So he's butchered the animals and cut them in two. Um, This is all in response to him asking, how will I know? It sounds a lot like, just in case you're not familiar with it, witchcraft and dark arts and um, voodoo and that sort of thing, where you're basically uh, casting a spell. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So. He's making an offering and it I guess he's waiting on something to happen with what he's with the layout of how he's laid out the um, animals he's slaughtered according to the order of the god he's worshiping the deity. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and my whole horror and great darkness fell upon him. So maybe like a vision. And then he said, Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. So he's giving him a prophecy that it lets him know, he just let him know you're gonna have a whole bunch of kids, even though you don't have any right now and think you're gonna go just being gonna go childless and your stuff's gonna to go to someone else. He already let him know, no, that's not what's gonna happen. Instead, a path is already laid out for you. Like i mentioned before, it seems we're on different paths in some sort of simulation that God enjoys watching. Of seeing what choices we're going to make, he's let him know there's already a path laid out for him, um, on in that that's how it's going to lead to him having lots and lots of descendants. That was the pro the prophecy that he'd given him, the promise he'd made him, the covenant he'd made with him with Abram with a human. The God deity made that covenant with a human, a lesser entity. It's 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 amazing uh, if you're going to believe the narrative. So he's um. So, and now told him to lay out these animals this way so that he could have this vision. So if you're into witchcraft and whatnot, if you try that, let me know how it turns out. I'd be curious. Um, so it, it, the result of his vision is he's is he's gotten a message from the deity letting him know that what's going to happen to his many descendants he's going to have is that they're going to end up being slaves. And... Um, that seems like sort of a backhanded blessing, a shady reward. Yeah, I'm going to give you lots of descendants, but it's going to turn out they're going to end up being slaves. And he lets them know it's going to be four centuries that are going to be slaves, 400 years in the vision. He lets them know that. That's, maybe that's the response to the sass and the doubts. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions." So I guess the reward for the sass is that his descendants will be cursed, not him, his descendants. He's gonna punish the, 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 the heirs, the descendants of Abram, for it seems to me his doubts and wondering, how can it be true? How's it gonna happen? They get delayed, he lays that on their shoulders by making them be slaves for 400 years. And we know this came true historically, uh, if you're gonna believe the narrative of the Bible and his, history in this instance, because the people were slaves in, in Egypt. They were they dwelt in Egypt, at least according to the narrative, 400 years, which is in Africa, just so you understand what part of the world we're talking about. And, um, for, 400, and for, for 400 years, they dwelt there, and for at least some portion of that, they were slaves probably not when they first got there, according to the narratives, but at some point over that time, they became slaves, just like black people were forced to be slaves but only from the get-go here, not uh, any freedoms at the beginning, hardly as free now. Um, But in the case of the Israelites back then, the God he's uh, interacting with letting him know he's gonna judge the people who, took, who uh, mistreat them and treat them, take them in as slaves. And as for you, you should go to your fathers in peace. You should be buried at a good old age. So instead of repaying him for the doubts, he's making the generations after him, his kids and grandkids and descendants pay for it, if that, if you're going to look at it that way. Otherwise, why wouldn't Abram's response be, hey, wait, 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 why are my kids got to be slaves? None of that. But in the fourth generation, they should return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So I guess he's he's reassured Abram that even though his kids and grandkids or however many generations for 400 400, uh, years will be slaves, he said, but they'll be set free at the end and I'll judge the people who took them as slaves. Um, And then they're gonna return there to handle some other business with the people there. So he's letting them know there's already paths laid out that I've already laid out for you and your descendants for many generations. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, and that behold, there appeared a a smoking flat. Let me start that again. It came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. So... Let's back up just a second. Um, It says now, if you back up to the chapter, uh, verse 12, now when the sun was going down, okay, so it was just going down when when the whole vision appeared to him, the horror and darkness and the message, now the sun has fully gone down um, and completely dark. That suddenly there's a vision, uh, not even a vision, he's seeing it happen. It happened, it appeared there. A smoking oven, it's described as, and a burning torch. So it seems to me it would have to be saying a light. Some light appeared and it was smoking. So it has also been on fire and it was moving. So it wasn't stationary, uh, passing between those pieces. So maybe it's whatever entity or spirit he's interacting with that's appeared to him after he's made that offering. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant. It's not real clear. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So you can look for yourself and see on a map what area this encompasses. It's basically a land greater than what's called Israel or Palestine in modern times, um, but it's basically the whole what we call the Holy Land, because it does extend to Africa, uh, into um, this part of Europe. I guess that is Europe, yeah. To the Middle East, basically, that's what it it includes. Only if you're going to accept that as the area given to these to the people you're mentioning in this passage. Then you have to also accept the other parts that come later in the Old Testament of how they lost rights to this same area of what we call the Holy Land, uh, whichever name you choose to call it by, because of different reasons. but it seems to me that in a nutshell, uh, unfaithfulness to the entities they were serving. Um, anyway, this um, he's been given this um, promise. But notice also, it doesn't say forever. It just says it what David was given to them. Uh, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Caimonites. It's just naming off the different area people who live in the areas. The Hittites, the per- Perizzites, the Refaim, more people, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So um, some again mention names of people who were known as giants back then. The Hittites, I think. And for sure, the Rephaim were also known as, and also the Amorites, known as literal giant people back then, really, really tall giant people back then. Uh, That's what some of those were known as. And Jebusite is the same name for the uh, ancient name for the same area that became known as Jerusalem. It was called Jebus. and The people there were called Jebusites. And then it became known as Jerusalem, the same area that's known as Jerusalem in modern times. Um, and that actually ends this reading. I appreciate you checking it out and hope you'll join me again uh, on Mondays and Wednesdays at random times. We do readings of the Old Testament. This is where we're at in the book of Genesis. And on Saturday nights, that's the one scheduled weekly reading that we do in the New Testament in um Focus on what it is Jesus actually has to say. Because like I say, always say what Jesus has to say is only a tenth or a tithe of what the Bible has to say. And if you're a Christian, isn't that what you should focus on? Why would you give anyone else the authority other than Jesus himself if you're going to say you're a Christian? So that's what we focus on those red letters on that Saturday night. Uh, join me for that at around 12.15 a.m. Uh, early Sunday mornings. And you can also see past readings if you're an adult. Uh, we can see the past readings here on this platform, on uh, Anchor, also on other platforms, Spotify, uh, Pocket Cast, and, um, and, but also you can see them on my website, hungtgirl.com, if you're an adult, and explore there, getting to know me. If you like um, body, mind, spirit and soul with links on the left Um, and you'll see past readings of the naked truth on the spirit and the soul pages there. We do focus on what it is Jesus has to say, because, again, why would you focus on what anyone else has to say if you're going to call yourself a Christian? Um, So in the meantime, stay safe, love your neighbors, wear your mask, wash your hands and be blessed. Thanks again. God bless you. And I'll see you next time. Peace to you.